Thank you for checking out this talk from the Fierce Families Conference that took place back in October of 2023. Our mission for this conference was to put God's design for marriage and family on full display, and then to equip marriages and families to live out God's beautiful design in the context in which he's placed them. So if you'd like to learn more about the Fierce Families Conference, perhaps to attend a conference in the future, or to bring the Fierce Families Conference to your own area, just go to fiercefamilies.com. Okay. Um, there's really no downsides to hospitality except that you just gain weight and then you don't lose it. So <laughs> um, thank you, Desiree, for introducing me. It's so good to be here with all of you ladies, and I'm so thankful and honored for the opportunity to be able to speak to you all about hospitality and share just a little bit of what God has taught me over the years of faithfully practicing hospitality. Um, before we get started, let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this privilege and opportunity that you have provided for me to be able to be here and to speak to all these wonderful ladies. Um, I pray that whatever I have to say would be edifying. I pray that you would work in our hearts and that our minds would be renewed and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we live in the time and place where the word hospitality falls on deaf ears. Our culture has no category for it, and it has also no place for it. We live in an entertainment age where everything we have or own is used for entertaining. Bigger screens, bigger homes, nicer cars. Most people don't invite others over at all to their homes because it feels very invasive. Furthermore, most people opt out to meet in public spaces such as coffee shops and parks rather than breaking bread within the privacy of one's home. Why is that? Because people feel that if they don't have the most up-to-date kitchens or up-to-date entertaining equipment within their homes that they can't have others over. And usually they have nothing to do with the relationships that they form inside their homes. But as Christians, where does that leave us? Do we see resources that God has blessed us with merely as our own? Or do we see them as the needs that God has given us to be stewarded and used for his glory? And what does God have to say about it at all? Does he care that we open up our homes, our apartments, our living spaces? And is there a difference between hospitality and the culture of entertainment? And where do we look for answers? Do we recognize the Bible as our ultimate authority over our life, regardless of what we have, or regardless of what the world around us says? Do we cling on to the promises of scripture? Do we recognize that the word of God is nothing but the truth itself? And what God reveals in his word is for our good and his glory. As Christians, this is where we must begin, looking what the Bible says. So let us start there. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Key word, grumbling, ladies, right? We're good at grumbling. And Romans 12.13 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13.2 do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Does it seem like God care about hospitality? Does it seem like hospitality is optional for us? I think not. So then what is it? And why does the Bible mention it? As we have seen in Hebrews 13, 16, hospitality is sharing what we have with others. Not the things we wish we had, 
but the things that we already have. Now, you might think you don't have enough, but as the Bible says that we have been given everything in Christ for life and godliness. So whether we have big homes, small homes, apartments, we ought to see it as a means to bless others. And how do we do that? First and foremost, by seeing all that we have as means of grace in our life and a gift from God. If we don't view things that we have as a blessing, then how can we use them to bless others? So then, when we recognize that we are blessed beyond measure, we can begin by serving others from the abundance of what we have already been given. So what is biblical hospitality? Simply put, biblical hospitality is blessing others by sharing what God has given us. And it simply begins by inviting others into our life, sharing with them what we have, and oftentimes breaking bread together at the table and saying, hey, this is what I have. I hope it blesses you. A quick note about principles and methods. The principles of hospitality remain the same throughout all ages and all times. And scripture is very clear about us practicing hospitality. However, the methods will vary from home to home. The way that my friend Nicole practices hospitality will be very different from the way that I practice hospitality because we both have very different talents and giftings that God has bestowed on, on us. Um, we are all called to practice it and show Christ's blessings in our lives. Whether we are married or whether we are single, a household with children or without children, whether we're rich or poor, even though that's hard to argue given that we live in one of the richest nations that we would be poor. No matter what our personality type is, whether we are introverted or extroverted, because we live in a culture that propagates that if your personality is this or that, then you don't have to do A or B. However, scripture says it doesn't matter what you're, whether you're you know, on Enneagram 1 or 2 or left wing or whatever, um, you have to submit your personality under the word of God and make sure that your, pers your personality is obedient versus disobedient. We all have been given Christ, and in him we have everything else we need for life and godliness. And that is really important for us to remember. Hospitality is the outworking of obedience, which overflows with joy in serving others. In other words, the command, practicing hospitality, is impartial towards persons. We are called to it, regardless of season of life we are in or the circumstances that we are in. That means we extend it by the principles of hospitality, sharing what you have and seeking to be a blessing to others, and that stays the same. So what prevents us from practicing biblical hospitality? I wanna share four barriers with you today when it comes to hospitality. So barrier number one, practicing hospitality tomorrow. And I feel like this is one of the most common one. We always feel like we can get to it tomorrow, or when we have more, or when we have the next thing. And we say, we will begin practicing when we have a larger space. However, I have personally witnessed in those situations that the same people that say, I'll practice it when I you know, move out of my apartment and acquire a home. And it's that those people still stay the same without ever going practicing hospitality. And why is that? That's because when they had a smaller space, they were not growing in the skills of practicing hospitality on a smaller scale. Then, and now, they have a bigger space, and they don't know where to begin, and they're still in the same boat saying, well, when I have this or that, that's when I will begin. This kind of deferred thinking is what prevents most people from engaging in hospitality today. However, even if you have a small space, you can begin by practicing hospitality on a smaller scale. 
and developing those skills and see how the Lord blesses obedience and multiplies the fruit of your hands. This is true for all of our possessions, not just our spaces. Jesus tells this very convicting parable in Luke 12, 16 through 21. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought of himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. You relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Ladies, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come for some of us. God has only given us today. And if we plan on waiting until tomorrow to use what God has given us today, we are being foolish according to Jesus. God asks the rich men this question, whose will they be? What good will your couch be in 10 years if nobody sits on it? What good will your dinner table be in 10 years if no one shares a good meal around it and doesn't have any good conversations over it? What good will your kitchen be in 10 years if no one learns how to cook and never experiences the joy of making a mess with ingredients that will be used to fill bellies and gladden hearts? What good will these things be if they are not used for the glory of God and the good of others? Barrier number two your own sanctification. And this is probably my least favorite one because it speaks to me the most and I am always reminded that God is always interested in sanctifying me through the process of hospitality. And over the years I have found that the Lord has cared to change me through the process of hospitality far more than the people that come through our home. Hospitality impacts both the person that is practicing it and the person on the other side that is receiving the gift of it. God is always in the business of changing all parties involved. Before guests come over, I pray and ask the Lord that our household would be used as a blessing for the people that are coming. And sometimes what I think will be a blessing to others versus what actually ends up blessing people are two very different things. Um, one time, as I was working hard on preparing dinner, and between dinner and ma managing little kids, we have five little ones, nine and under, a family that was supposed to come, they showed up early and I got flustered and I actually burned dinner. Has that happened to you? Maybe not. <laughs> um, and as you know, we had something else. I think I had like frozen pizza in the freezer that we put in the oven and redeemed that time. And at the end of the evening, a lady came up to me, my friend, and she said, Mary, it was such a blessing to me to see how you handle the burned dish and that you didn't lose it. It was very encouraging. Who would have thought that the Lord would use a burned dinner to encourage someone? But that's what God does, right? Versus another time, I tried hard and it seemed as though everything was going great to have one of the teenage guests come up to me and say, well, that was just not my favorite. Which I'm not sure if it's a reflection on my cooking or on the teenager's bad manners. However, one thing is for sure, there's no shortage of opportunities to let our, our pride die and die it must. Um, objection number three, temptation to self-pity. We as women never lack in the ability of thinking too much about ourselves, and some don't ever lack thinking much of themselves. When this particular temptation lurks its ugly head around the corner, 
It is an innocent feeling of just feeling sorry for oneself. It's a deadly venom that is able to destroy anyone and everything on its way. Have you ever felt that nobody cares about your hard work? Have you ever felt underappreciated? Have you ever felt not seen? Then you too have tasted this poison. This deadly venom I'm talking about, and that's just how self-pity begins. It starts small, but then it grows big. And if not repented of and dealt with, it has potential to destroy families and friendships. And we as Christians should have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to self-pity. And there is no better time for this temptation to occur than when we are trying to practice hospitality. Because hospitality is work, and sometimes a lot more work than we anticipated. There is no shortage of us wanting to throw in the towel and feel sorry. We are not being recognized and appreciated in ways we want to be, and how nobody else sees the hard work we are putting in. If we give in to those feelings of self-pity, inevitably we will become embittered against our spouse and our children, and the people we are trying to bless with our work. Bitter towards our spouse because he isn't helpful enough. Bitter at our children for making messes and not being understanding. Bitter at our guests for being not appreciative enough. And if we wanted to destroy our household inside out, this is how it begins. With a small feeling of self-pity that seems so harmless at first. But as Christian women, we know that feelings don't dictate our reality. This is why it's so important to be able to remind ourselves of the truth, so that in the moments of temptations, we can say no. My husband would always remind me, and praise God for husbands who are not afraid to speak the truth to women that are flustered. He would say, obey the word of God first and invite your feelings to follow. And isn't that so true? When we set out to do what is right, despite how we feel, at the end we find that indeed our feelings have changed and we are actually content and happy Yet the culture we live in today would have us believe the very opposite as the truth. Our culture, with no shortage of Disney movies, tells us to be true to ourselves, meaning being true to our feelings. And if you feel something, then it must be true. So even when we don't feel like being hospitable and offering time and resources, we still should. And at the end, what we will find is that we have been far more blessed in the process than we have ever set out to be. Number four, expectations of reciprocity. Many of us are stumped when it comes to extending hospitality to others because we fall prey to this unbiblical notion of reciprocity. Reciprocity is great when you're facilitating friendships or already have existing relationships, inviting each other for dinners, taking turns hosting, get-togethers, play dates. But when it comes to hospitality, an expectation of reciprocity will kill your efforts before you begin them. Not only that, but if you do try to practice hospitality by always expecting that those whom you are serving will reciprocate your efforts back, you will become an incredibly bitter human being when they don't reciprocate and you will find that someone who will always complain and how little everyone responds to your service. But the main problem with this kind of mentality is that it's entirely anti-gospel. Think about God's character for a moment. Does he give because he expects to be given onto? Does he love you because he is waiting for you to love him back? Does he serve so that he can be served in return? Sometimes we think that because Jesus rightly rules and reigns and possesses all power and authority after his greatest act of humiliation on the cross, 
that he somehow receives the loyalty and service of his followers through manipulative and coercive efforts. That simply isn't true. He takes no pleasure in scratching your back so that you can scratch his. His love for you is impassable love. It's not coercive, nor is it obligatory. It comes directly from his will. It wasn't seeking anything in return for its service. And yet, the irony is that when we extend hospitality without expecting it in return, that tends to possess an attractive quality to it. And people will eventually reciprocate that sort of thing. So what does that all have to do with raising fierce families? Well, assuming that we can grow in overcoming these barriers that we just looked at, barrier number one, waiting for tomorrow, our own sanctification, temptation to self-pity, and expectations of reciprocity. We and we will begin practicing hospitality. Hospitality has to begin in the home before it extends itself beyond the home. It has to start within our own households. For those of you who are married and those who have households with children, I want to take some time and speak to you directly. And one vital key component we must remember at all times is that we cannot give what we do not have. If we don't practice hospitality towards our husband and towards our children, who are our closest neighbors God has placed in our lives, then how can we as households learn to bless others when our own people feel very unblessed by us? Why is that our husband and children witness us making a special dinner for someone else, but never for them? This is where we must begin. And the outpouring of our gift and talents, first and foremost, should go to blessing our own people who are within our home. For our husband and children to know that they come first and that they are loved. So when they are grown, they can look back at dinner times with great fondness. At that, so, and then some of their favorite times were around dinner table. But how do we bless our people? A lot of the times it means we have to change our expectations. If you planned a lovely time where you see yourself having a peaceful time cooking, the kid's favorite meal, but then all the little ones want to share the kitchen with you. And we all know how that goes. And they begin crowding the countertops and things get messy. You have two options. You can insist that everyone leaves while guilting them for not caring about how hard you're working to bless them. Or you can lay your expectations down and pray that the Lord helps you be what those little ones need you to be in that moment and uses to bless them. So you give out cutting boards and get the little helpers involved in making the meal, even though it means it will take three times as long. And at the end, there may be some flour and dough hanging down from your ceiling. Our goal as mothers isn't just to fill their bellies, but it is also to fill their souls. A common temptation for all of us mothers is to neglect our own children when we are working to have guests over. It's a desire to have children out of the way, not making messes and making your living spaces not lived in. But we live with real people in real time who are far less aware of the cleaning standards their mom has than they have themselves. So how do we have guests over and at the same time prioritize our own people? Once again, by changing our expectations of what our house and our table will look like in the season of child rearing years. It's okay for the house to look like children live there. It's important for, for the children to witness mom who has a properly ordered heart rather than a properly ordered home with the messy heart. Not that we shouldn't strive for order and cleanliness, but that we should be able to have discernment and see when those expectations are getting in the way of us loving our people well. As our children have grown older, 
We have a nine-year-old, seven, six-year-old boys who very much love being involved in practicing hospitality. Whether it's just towards our immediate family for dinner time or for guests that are coming over, we always strive to make sure that they are on the same page with us, that this is what we do as a household together. The boys set the table, filled the pitchers of water, and their favorite thing to do is to bring out dessert at the end. Now, their table setting skills are not up to my standard, but the point being is that they are involved and they're learning alongside me to practice hospitality. They also help clean up at the end. They load and unload dishes. Before guests come over, we talk about what it means to bless others. We also talk about the blessings we have already received from Christ. And in that time, we try to prepare our children for some pitfalls because they might experience them with their siblings or friends that come over. We talk about sharing toys and what will happen if one of the children accidentally breaks their toy. What kind of response are they to have? We also talk about potential rivalry among the siblings that can arise when guests come over and how are we going to handle that. Then we talk about if there's something about the food that they don't like, how they are to continue to eat their food in a respectful manner that honors everyone else at the table. We try to prepare our children for temptations before temptations arise so that they are equipped to handle them. And if you have children, then you know there is no shortage of temptations of all kinds. One of the big blessings of involving our children in practicing hospitality alongside us is that we have seen them become generous with the things that they own. Over time, they are able to see the home we have as a means of grace in our own life. They are able to see their toys as a blessing and the food we have on our table as provisions from our good God. I have talked about the importance of us mothers being a blessing to our children when it comes to hospitality, but I also want to take some time and talk about serving our spouse our husbands through the means of hospitality and what role husbands have to play in it. We live in a time and place where feminists scream how man should have no say about basically anything in life. And in many ways, they portray our men as our enemies. All over the media, we hear about toxic masculinity. So then how do we as Christian women seek to honor our men in a world that despises them? First and foremost, we must recognize that our husbands are the heads of our homes. They are wonderful leaders and shepherds of our homes that God and His providence provided for us. So when we practice hospitality, at the forefront of our mind, we should ask ourselves, is this a blessing to my husband? Asking him, how should we go about having family dinners? What is his vision for our meals together? What is his vision for having guests over? And the thing about us women is that we can take that vision and turn it into something tangible and beautiful. Because after all, we are help meets to our husbands. For what use is it if you're working hard to bless someone else, yet your own husband is neglected and placed on the back burner? Is that kind of work pleasing to the Lord? Of course not. So we always have to remember what comes first and why we do what we do. The way we honor our husbands when we plan meals is by asking our husbands what he thinks we should have that week for dinner or what he thinks we should make when we have company, taking note of the food he enjoys and seeking to bless him also in the process. If there's any final advice that I could leave with you today, it would be this. Prepare ahead of time for how you'll respond to different hypothetical situations that may occur. You will be surprised how much this actually really helps to emotionally prepare for things to go wrong because wrong, they will go. We live in real time. We live with real people who are also sinners. We also host sinners. Now, what can go wrong with that? 
It would be amazing if all of our dinner plans would go as we have envisioned them. If our children would always be well behaved and nobody ever spilled anything and everyone was helpful and grateful and our husbands could read our minds. But that is not the case. And our husbands aren't mind readers and our children aren't always well behaved. In fact, they are prone to spilling things and breaking things, sometimes what seems to be beyond our capacity to handle. This past summer, we had friends over for dinner, and one of our children, who will remain nameless, wanted to show off his new padded toy hammer he made with his dad. And as he was swinging it around, he thought it would be a good idea to give it a good hard swing next to our kitchen window, only to see it shatter. Whoever said that having boys was cheaper than having girls must have never had any sons. The point here being, when we practice hospitality, things will get broken. And hopefully, for your sake, they won't be broken on such high scale as they are in our home. However, we must prepare for things to go wrong. Think through potential things that can go wrong, and then hypothetically prepare for how you will respond to them. In conclusion, our main focus is to please the Lord in every situation that we are in and in everything that we do. When we focus on pleasing the Lord, fear of men dissipates, pride and shame lose their grip and we begin to experience freedom and joy, the kind that only the Lord can provide. Before you begin to ask yourself, is this pleasing to the Lord? The way I treat my husband and kids, my roommate, my neighbor, my friend, am I striving to honor him in my home and grow in hospitality in such a way that honors him? Does my life reflect that God has bestowed upon me lavish grace and mercy and has loved me with unconditional love? When people walk into my home, do they sense the aroma that there is joy there? What does your life say about the kind of God that you worship? What does your attitude say about whether or not you truly believe what you say to be true about the goodness and mercy of God? My hope and prayer for you is that you would grow to be a cheerful giver of your time and resources, to be a blessing to your own people first and foremost, and then everyone else around you that through your hands, many hungry stomachs would be satisfied, and that in your home, much laughter would be had. That because of you, people would see that God cares for them because you have served a wonderfully delicious and warm meal. I pray that the labor of your hands would be tenfold fruitful and the process that you would be sanctified and made more like Christ, remembering that your reward is in heaven. May your homes be a safe haven for God's people in a tumultuous culture and in difficult times. Sing hymns, pray, eat delicious food, all to the glory of God.